0: Happy Monday, film fans. This is Jake, and you're about to listen to my conversation with Blair Shavis on Parasite, but first a little bit of admin. So I'm still figuring out this whole podcast thing, and one thing that I learned in week number one is that when you release two episodes in the same day, you kind of step on your own toes. So I'm going to switch to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule, one episode per day for the rest of Oscar season. Keep tuning in on Podbean on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I think is live now, Google Play, anywhere that you listen, iHeartRadio. And now we'll go to my conversation with Blair Chavis on Parasite. Blair Chavis is an editor with experience covering arts and culture, a huge cinephile, and I believe you are trying to watch every Oscar movie this year as well, is that right?
1: I am. Um, every year I make it my goal, and I usually stick to it pretty well.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining to talk about what I think is one of the very best movies of the year, and that is Parasite. Um, how, how, Where does this rank for you so far from what you've seen?
1: I think it's definitely number one, and I said that early on, before i even said a lot of things so i kind of jumped the gun and i it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that was correct (laughs)
0: there you go yeah this one really caught on it seems like and obviously kind of escalated in in the consciousness more than even some of the foreign films of this nature in the past have done what do you think it is that's just resonated so much with audiences
1: oh you know and i'm i'm so happy to see that it's caught on because I think usually a movie like this would not get the attention it deserves. And maybe I'm dating myself, but the last time that I can remember a foreign film getting this much attention was Life is Beautiful. I don't know if you remember.
0: Yeah, and and that one obviously ended at least with Roberto Benigni jumping on the chairs. Yes. Um, <laughs> there, there's definitely some uh, personality with, with Bong Joon-ho, but I don't know if he's uh, athletic in that same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's quite the same. And it's not as much of a, I would say, joyful slash dramatic. No sad, and horrible. I mean, it is dramatically sad and horrible, but it, it just is a different level and kind of different type of movie. Yeah, it's not um,
0: one of those happy Holocaust movies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I was so excited to see this movie catch on and felt really validated by it just because it, it just struck me as just one of the most intricate, yet simple, yet beautiful movies that I've seen in a long time. Like, I would really characterize it as perfect or if not perfect, almost perfect it just hit on human nature, it hit on class, it hit on family, dynamics, you know, just pretty much everything. And I think there was a nugget in there probably for everyone, um, no matter what angle they were coming at it from.
0: Perfect is a word that I would also use to describe it. It's, it's so meticulous and so smart in the way that it just connects little details throughout the movie. And it's one that you could probably watch a thousand times and see something new every time. Um, yeah. I want to get into kind of, breaking down some of the nuance of that but i will just drop off the top that as a oscar completist podcast we encourage you to go watch all of the movies and go watch this movie before you listen to the conversation here we will definitely be spoiling many elements that are much more enjoyable and thrilling if you experience them for the first time without knowing what they are so warning i guess before we get into the different acts what are kind of the themes that That you most took away or or kind of what what you found most engaging about the way that just this whole story was structured
1: well it's kind of funny i went into the movie blind i all i knew about it was a little bit that i had learned from the previews and after seeing it i saw a lot of articles that said don't you dare read this if you've seen the movie and i think part of the joy of this movie is how it unfolds and how things unravel because i think it's a very simple premise and altogether it's a fairly simple story But I think the true experience of this movie is the journey that you take with it. And I think that the way that the director did it, um, he unfolded very, very slowly for you. And while you could predict certain things, other things just throw you completely off kilter. (laughs) So much like a play, and I'll probably say this a lot during our discussion, I feel like it really takes care of the audience in terms of a very nurturing and slow journey.
0: I definitely agree. With that and and certainly the twists come at sort of unexpected times and then pivot i think tonally just the whole movie like there's sort of almost three shifts of that nature where something that you don't think is coming comes and then the movie just sort of changes completely (laughs) um and so it is really that journey that that you don't know what's around the bends
1: and i just think there are a few movies I think even do that effectively. Um, You know, I think of, I don't know if you saw the movie waves recently. Mm,
0: I love that movie.
1: Um, And that movie felt like it had different acts. And the last act of that movie felt so separate from the other parts of the movie, but still was beautiful and really a great piece of it. And I would say this movie kind of had a similar component of the second and third acts, just feeling like almost different movies, but you were still with them and still happy to be there. And I, Sitting through that
0: movie, I didn't even want it to end. <laughs> yeah, I think that probably the, the best thing to do is just start jumping into those different acts and sort of what role they play in, in the overall story. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the movie starts and we meet this family, Kim family, and they're living in a basement and they're stealing Wi-Fi. They're doing what they need to do to get by and not really even... It, it's just not relevant as to whether it's okay or not okay.
1: And there's something really symbolic, too, about them even physically living underground, and I think that comes up in a lot of ways um, in the movie, but kind of living below society, you know, sub-level, subterranean, all of that, um, I think, plays throughout the movie.
0: It does, yeah. There's a really direct compare, I think, with uh, Jordan Peele's movie, Us. On the surface, you know, that's a movie that involves people living underground and people living above ground, but I think what's really... Different about Parasite, and we'll get into sort of broader themes, but this movie, I think, is largely about the people living below ground. The people living above ground are comparison points, and they the story interacts with them. But I ultimately think that this story is less concerned with the Park family, who we'll get into relative then to the Kim family and then kind of as we get into the third act the uh, other characters of, of their station that they end up coming in contact with
1: and something too which might be worth drawing a parallel also is the movie Slumdog Millionaire which was also mm-hmm. a huge hit um when you think about these kind of class systems I remember with that movie just kind of like the physical feeling of the classes and how they were living was definitely it's like almost its own character in the movie. And I would describe that this way too.
0: Yeah. And it it, it for sure is. And, and so kind of as they, as they start going through, or, you know, they're, they're kind of going through their life and trying to get by and, and they stumble upon this opportunity, thanks to a friend who is kind of clearly seems like he wants the son in the Kim family to just sort of be a placeholder for this tutoring job that he has with a uh, more wealthy family. Basically, so, the
1: daughter doesn't end up going off with some other boy. I mean, I think it's kind of a funny reason. <laughs>
0: it is interesting. Well, and, and there's, I think, some intentionality in that, too, just in that, you know, he doesn't even see uh, this member because of his status and place in society as somebody who would be a threat romantically.
1: Yeah.
0: And so they slowly start working their way and infiltrating this family in the first half or the first third of this movie is sort of, there's some levity to it. It's almost like watching, um, I don't know, like a heist movie or like,
1: yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, what's the Las Vegas movie with, a you know, Brad Pitt and all of them. That's oh, ocean's 11. Yeah. That's yeah. a really
0: good they It really does feel like that.
1: <laughs>
0: and so kind of going in blind and not, um, having preconceptions um how what's your interaction with the, the kim family and and just what you're seeing
1: i mean their their lack of moral compass is actually a little bit fun to watch like as terrible as it is you're kind of just enjoying them doing this um and i think kind of the beginning picture you get of this wealthy family of the park family is a, is amusing like you're kind of laughing along with the kim family kind of observing these people um and i think you know as the movie goes on you get a much darker picture both of both families really and how they interact with each other
0: the first infiltration by the son is relatively victimless i mean his friend has asked him to take this spot and he's he's fuzzing his credentials he's like making a fake diploma but there there doesn't really seem to be anybody that's being harmed by it mm-hmm. the daughter then comes in and again doesn't you know, she takes us, she's not qualified to do, uh, you know, she's hired as an art tutor and then sort of upgrades herself to an art therapist. But and she's she not...
1: does convince the, the mother that her son has a serious mental illness, which is not totally innocent. But...
0: No, and that's, that's a great point. That is sort of a escalation. I think the first real, I guess, eyebrow raiser in terms of, of the behavior is the way that they get rid of the uh, driver, and, and, and get the dad uh, a job in the family.
1: Was it the driver or the maid that they got rid of first?
0: The first was the driver.
1: Yeah, the whole impropriety incident with the underwear in the car.
0: <laughs> yeah, in essence, she like kind of hides her underwear in the car and makes it to seem that the driver's kind of using the car for his own purposes, um, which is enough to sort of subtly usher out the, the young driver and then they offer up their father so he comes in and then yeah then there's kind of one spot left that they want the mom to get and that's this maid who i think came with the house she
1: did yeah i think so
0: and so as so the the way they do this is they basically convince the the family that this maid has tuberculosis <laughs> <Yeah>. um
1: i like why by the way <laughs>
0: Which is quite a lie. Well, and and so and they do it by basically using her peach allergy, I think,
1: yeah.
0: to, to elicit symptoms and supplement that with hot sauce and and you know making it look like she's hacking up blood. So this yeah. is sort of the first. This is pretty. You know, the maid is made to be kind of a likable character. This is sort of where it seems like there are more victims to what they're doing. How. What are you still with the family at this point, or are you starting to have questions about the implications of their behavior?
1: I'm still with them. I don't know if you get if you were at that point a little sniffed, but I was still with them.
0: So I so this is I I guess that is basically the setup of the movie, right? I mean that's that I think is the first third. Is yeah. there anything anything else from kind of that first third of the movie that, that jumped out at you or that you feel was worth looking at a little further?
1: You know, just generally and I wish I knew more about Korean film and South Korea to be able to make this comment, but the movie felt so American to me in some ways. Like, it had a little bit of an air of American beauty in, some, in certain ways. And I also feel like, especially in that first third of the movie, also American culture is really celebrated or just American there was a joke about how something came from like, an, like a random state in America, but if it's like from America, it must be good. But even just the, the value of, of teaching English and kind of having American culture, you know, it was a sign of, of class. For the family, I thought it was just interesting, maybe because over, overall the movie felt very American to me in certain ways or echoed, echoed of American film. That might be partly why the movie felt approachable to an American audience as well.
0: I think that's a really interesting comment. I want to come back to it as we get toward the end of the movie. I, I, I think the setup and a lot of the structure feels familiar in parts. I mean, obviously bon, um, Bong Joon-ho being someone who plays with genre and genre being sort of a vehicle for familiarity, I do think as it gets later in the movie, there's a level of hopelessness that I think is not achievable by an American director. Like I think that there's the the way the movie sort of turns, I don't know if it could be American in my view. So, So it's really interesting to hear you say that.
1: I would agree with that also, though, and I do want to talk about that because there's something so epic about the climax of this movie that I think is more heartbreaking than maybe an American film would take it.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, transition to get into sort of act number two. And so this family has infiltrated the movie, and I think the big event that that starts to change the direction of the story is the Park family goes on vacation. The uh, They go on a camping trip. And I wonder maybe if it it's worth for a second just pausing on the Park family this is the rich family. Um, it's a father he works, I can't remember what his job is, but he he's sort of chauffeured around by this driver. He's an seen...
1: electronic company. I feel like he works in electronics somehow.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And he's sort of shuttled back and forth to the city. He's a bit aloof, but he's you know, he doesn't he's not aggressively abusive or anything like that to, to the to the servant class. You have the mom who seems well intentioned but clearly is, you know, a, a mark. They see her as gullible. Um, you have the daughter who sort of, you know, she had a romantic relationship with the prior tutor and starts to develop one with this tutor. I think that's a lot of the context in which you see her. And then there's this young son who seems to basically be a rambunctious five-year-old, but the mom has sort of ascribed with some sort of affliction, I guess.
1: Well, it comes to time in the second act that he had a traumatic incident that they're trying to basically constantly make up for.
0: Yeah, and that traumatic incident certainly comes back. What, what, how is your relationship with the the park family through the first third of the movie?
1: Um, I mean, it's almost a cliche. I think the bourgeois family that's like has more than they know what to do with and is a little bored and upset and needs to over medicate and over educate and kind of surround themselves with all things. And I, I mean, I think the mom is a, is a little bit of a caricature in that respect, and I think she's meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that. Both the husband and wife develop a lot of depth throughout the movie, and in some ways are sympathetic characters, and in some ways you want to, like, you know, murder them, which is <laughs> not... <laughs> some of that happens.
0: Well, uh, wish fulfillment?
1: I don't know. I wouldn't say that I, I hate them necessarily. I think they're well-rounded enough that I'm a little sympathetic toward them,
0: even if they're a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> so then that sets up, basically, they, you know, they leave. You have this family, uh, the Kims that have infiltrated their life, but... Uh, but unknown to the park family that they have any sort of relation to each other they use the opportunity to to come into the house and and kind of spend the weekend as if as if it was their house now the title of the movie is parasite and this is definitely a movie about class aspirationalism the actual. I looked up the actual definition of the word parasite just as I was thinking about the movie. Mm-hmm. It's an organism that lives in or on an organism of another species. I underline that, its host. And mm-hmm. benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. I think there's a stark contrast drawn between the world in which the Park family lives and the world in which the Kim family lives and even the fact that you have the Park family going to basically rough it outside of their house to sleep in tents, which is... Yeah, ironic. the, the <laughs> ironic. It's the existence that the Kim family is, in essence, relegated to
1: yeah.
0: as their natural station. And you now have the Kim family move in to the house.
1: Talk about turning points. You knew something was going to happen.
0: And what happens is the doorbell rings. They're kind of drinking. They're fantasizing about how the the son's going to marry the daughter and this could actually become their house. And then... The doorbell rings, and it is the maid who they've displaced. Uh, I believe her name is Moon Guang. She uh, is. She shows up, talks her way into the house, and then goes down to the basement. Mm -hmm. What you find is her husband, who's been stationed or who's been hiding out there and living there. Now here's something that I did not pick up on at all, and I just I actually like picked this up reading afterwards. That I thought was super interesting. So he, the the husband's been living there since he owned a Thai restaurant, and I think it was uh, like it went out of business. He, he was basically like fell into debt to loan sharks, and so he's down there hiding away from the loan sharks. So yeah. in the first scene of this movie, the Kim family is in their basement. And they've lost they've lost the Wi-Fi because. They lived under a restaurant that they used to steal Wi-Fi from, and it's just gone out of business. What? That's crazy. I think it's meant to sh- at least be implied that this could be the same restaurant, or at least points to sort of the interchangeability of the people in this cr- class. And there is sort of a constant trading places in sort of a treadmill style.
1: Yeah.
0: It doesn't matter who's up, who's down. So this – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say that's interesting. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, that was something that I d- definitely did not pick up on my first watch. So now they're both. So so both families are here, and for at first you have just the mom who's taken uh, the maid's role, trying to sort of manage the situation, and the family's trying to listen in, and then they all kind of fall down and are are seen and spotted. It now becomes a tango of trying to maintain their secret against this maid, who's basically you know incentivized to to give up their cover um i guess just reactions to this whole general part of the film
1: well i would say just the whole tone of the movie shifted at this point like it becomes a kind of almost a a desperate horror film in a way like it, the brutality with which even the maid like knocks her head and is down there and it's like a ticking time bomb of like whether she's gonna survive and just like now realizing that you not only have one human being trying to survive out down there, but two, is just a very disturbing and uh, tension filled tension filled premise for me. I felt very just anxious for them down there. Now having this information,
0: yeah. So so th- this is basically back and forth of trying to you know the the maid is literally threatening them with like a cell phone. Um, instead of a gun, you know, like don't move or I'll shoot. She's basically like, don't move or I'll hit the send button on my video of, of that'll show that you guys all are in cahoots. Yeah. And, and then there's this phone call that the family is coming home early. And so then there's this mad scramble. She ends up pushing, uh, the mom ends up pushing the maid down the stairs. She hits her head in the way you described, but the gig is kind of still intact. They, they sweep up all the alcohol from, from their partying. they, get the um, couple back in the basement and tie them up in terms of anticipation of like, when is this going to fall apart? Like what were your expectations watching the movie and like, what were you rooting for? I guess in terms of the family, keeping up the charade, getting caught.
1: It became really complicated for me morally. um, Just because you realize that this, the maid and her husband are also in a really desperate place. Um, I think it sort of amplifies some of the themes that you learn early on about the family. And actually I think, Gives a more sympathetic position to their property than maybe the fam- like the Kim family first presents. Because I think in the first half of, first third of the movie, you kind of you're enjoying the manipulations, but I don't think you really feel any suffering with them. Um, and I think that the the maid and her husband kind of bring out and change the tone of the class suppression that they're all feeling um, in a different way. I mean, I would say that the tone shifts for the Kim family as well after after you start seeing some of this I mean circumstantially it's it's out of necessity as well I I honestly until then was rooting for the Kim family and then just also felt really bad for the maid and her husband like they were all basically desperate and clawing trying to claw their way physically from the bottom like it's it, again the metaphor of kind of being almost like cockroaches in a basement
0: <laughs> this to me is very much a movie about these two families interacting. I think a natural comparison for for anybody who's seen Jordan Peel's Us, there's a family in the under, you know, underground, and there's a family above ground, and it's very much the family above ground versus the family underground. Yeah. Here, I, this to me is a story about two families underground. and the whereas in Jordan's Peel's us, really, all it takes to switch from above ground to underground is opportunity. In this movie, there's there's really no opportunity. There's no way to get from underground to above ground, even if you can kind of play there for a little while. That I think really comes comes through in the final act of the movie.
1: Yeah, I would agree.
0: So the family comes home. The charade's still on. There's a lot. There's great filmmaking. Just tension. Bong Joon Ho is. I mean, he's like a master of this sort of suspense. There's this whole extended sequence of uh, the. Family having to hide under the table when uh, the son decides to sleep outside, and the so the parents stay downstairs and they're like just inches away from the younger family. And I think that's also when they start to have a conversation about the smell of.
1: I going to mention that, and it's such a disgusting scene altogether. I mean, if you recall, the husband, the park husband, like pulls out the underwear, and basically they use it as like an erotic toy to have sex on the couch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um they're they're kind of uh eroticizing poverty which in that moment just feels so gross (laughs) but yeah i think the idea of smell is introduced and there's so many kind of cross metaphors in the last part of the movie in terms of you know the massive flood of their apartment and the, the fact that you know they're kind of physically and metaphorically drowning and all trying to kind of scrape scrape themselves out and if you think about metaphors too, like not being able to wash out that smell, it's like, no matter what they do there, it's like, he's always going to smell that
0: way. Yeah. The set, the, the flood that you mentioned is one of, I mean, first of all, just purely as a set piece plot aside, he built, so this entire set was built like their, the semi-basement where they live was built in a water tank so that he could flood it out and destroy it. So they filmed this whole movie and then just destroyed the set, which I think is just remarkable on its own
1: and visually it's terrifying and viscerally it's terrifying it's like the Titanic on crack
0: (laughs) Titanic on crack that should have been the slogan for the movie (laughs) on the poster the other thing with the flood scene um so I mean there's obviously kind of some heavy-handed comparative dialogue where the at the upper class family house and they're talking about how wonderful the rain was because I think it You know, it had been a dry season or something or it also, I think in this, this idea that there's just no rising tide, that the only way up is to step on someone else. I mean, it's just a literal embodiment of that. (laughs) Yeah. So they have to clean up real quick after their apartment's flooded out and they're actually sleeping in like, basically like a refugee stadium. Um, And then they get this phone call that we're having a birthday party for the oldest son. So, you know, wear your nice clothes on a Sunday at our whim show up and that's when sort of the the movie really escalates
1: i mean i just like that whole flood i felt like i went through a war with them (laughs) like i just and you have that touching moment in the shelter i felt like that whole thing was just so heartbreaking and so gross and so awful it's like basically toilet water was like filling their apartments they were at a complete breaking point and still they had to go kind of hustle and put up put their masks back on to like go take care of this family for this really frivolous birthday party that was super excessive for like a little kid it's like how at that moment did they even keep it together like if i were in that state like i would be sobbing like a ball in a corner you know but still it was a matter of survival you know at this point it wasn't about a game it was about what do we need to survive we've lost everything like this is we need this money like we'll go do
0: this yeah and it's an interesting dynamic that you bring up too because you just we kind of just talked about how as there are more and more victims to their charade and you start to feel i guess uh ambiguity at best about the kim family and then all of a sudden you're watching their residents get destroyed they're again in a very vulnerable situation and it does sort of bring back that that humanization before the final act when it all kind of explodes So at the birthday party, you have this kind of happy scene above, and below, there's this struggle. Now, do you remember why, initially, the son goes back down to the basement?
1: Something went, around, went amiss, in the midst of all of them trying to, like, kind of keep everything going. And also, the maid died. I think around that time, the maid, like, the husband realized that the maid died. So I think you talk about this third act, and I think that is sort of hitting all their breaking points at once. <laughs> which led to the insanity it was sort of like letting a wounded animal like a, a wounded rabbit animal out after discovering like his loved ones have been killed it's just at this point blind rage i think for that that husband who was down there
0: yeah and so he comes upstairs he hit he he the the husband of, of the maid who's passed away he uses this rock he hits the son over the head you sort of think that the son has been killed the guy comes up from the basement he stabs the daughter, the son of the of the rich family who's having the birthday party. His issues have s- sort of stem from this experience of having seen a ghost come out of the basement. Obviously, it hasn't. It wasn't a ghost. It was just this guy that was living in their basement. <laughs> so he, <laughs> so he sees he sees this again, and I think it yeah. passes out or has a panic attack.
1: Yeah,
0: and needs to be transported to the hospital. The father who is still uh, ostensibly the driver he's asked to drive the son to the hospital but meanwhile his daughter's bleeding out but he can't actually show that he's the daughter and it's right at this point that the that the rich father smells the I think it's actually the he smells the um the guy that's been living in the basement makes yeah. the same sort of disparaging face that he had made about the, the driver father and that's what gets him to then kill the father. And I think to just kind of quickly then, the some time passes. The daughter has died. The mother and son are have been found out and they're serving time um, in jail. And then the father's disappeared. It turns out that he is living in the basement. Um, and the son sort of fantasizes about maybe being able to one day do things the right way. And he'll go to school and he'll get a job and he'll earn enough money to buy the house and then he can be with his father again and then it, you kind of see that this is all a fantasy and he's back underground in the semi-basement where he started.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So those are the plot points. Thematically, what do you take away from that?
1: <laughs> it almost feels a little bit, I go back to this thing of it feeling American. It feels a little bit like the American dream being played out there. But also in I, I wish, again, that I knew more about Korean culture, but in a lot of ways, you know, the, the, the level of, of class heaviness in this movie felt kind of like Indian caste system, where there's kind of no way out, although education does seem to be a way out for people there. But the movie ended feeling both hopeful and stuck at the same time. And I guess, you know, you could look at it one way and say, like, it's almost cliche that he was imagining that he would one day buy the house and just kind of let him walk through the living room. But I also think it was just like such an exquisite ending for that movie, considering how stuck that father now was, kind of basically in in like a basement prison for God knows how long.
0: That's the part, and coming back to the American thing, this is the part that I think couldn't work in America, because I think that there's something in America that the American dream is so deeply ingrained in The systems And there's obviously huge wealth disparity even in America. But it's so fundamental to every institution that there's some little glimmer of hope that just doesn't exist here. There are opportunities to live out. You you are your station in life. There's no getting out. And they all end where they start, quite literally, every one of them underground. And so when you compare it to – like I was thinking about other movies that are sort of comparison points for me this year. And so definitely one of them is Us. A movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco has some very similar plot points. You have uh, somebody who really wants to live in a specific house who finds his way into being able to live in that house under means that sort of aren't legitimate within society and, and doesn't necessarily belong there. But there's sort of a an actualization in that movie that you are more than your station in life or you are more than the house you live in. Here you you aren't. Like, at the end of the day, there's, we all know that he's not going to go get a job and eventually buy that house. And that's sort of what that last shot just showing him back in the basement. There's just like a hopelessness to it that I think is, I don't know if an American director would even have the the thought to, to go in that direction.
1: It's so glib, but so beautiful at the same time. I mean, it's, I agree. I don't, I don't know if, if we would end that way. I mean there are movies that are American that have ended kind of tragically, but I think it was willing it was willing to be unfinished while trying to kind of imagine the finishing.
0: So this one got six nominations. It's history, so it won the Palm d'Or at Cannes, that's sort of where it burst on the scene. That's the top prize. It won the foreign language film with the Golden Globes, and that is the Hollywood Foreign Press. So that has an international bend to it. Uh-huh. Critics' Choice Award for Foreign Film. It is nominated in the in the international film category, and it seems complete locked that it'll win that. What, what do you think? I know you mentioned that you're still going to see The Irishman, you're still going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Based on uh, what else you've seen this year, do you feel like this is a movie that, that could win Best Picture?
1: Unfortunately, I also have not seen Joker, and I know that's probably a front runner um, in, in terms of you know potentially winning Best Picture. I really hope this film wins best picture rather than Tarantino or, you know, some of the ones that you kind of just expect to win over and over again. I think particularly in a in a time where films that are getting made, the films that are getting rewarded are are the ones that are kind of predictable or the ones that, you know, are just sure to be box office hits. I really want to champion the movies that you wouldn't expect to hopefully encourage more of those to be made or be encouraged. I mean that's the hope every year I think and often I don't win that battle but <laughs> uh, I just think it's such a unique story and such and I just so beautifully directed it just it should be celebrated and I really hope it gets the honor it deserves
0: I agree I, I, I also have that same cynicism that just like the inability to move up from the semi-basement to the to the nice yeah. house the academy will never <laughs> celebrate the things we actually love
1: um, you know also when I've been trying to describe this movie to everybody, I've been comparing it to Hitchcock. I don't know if you would agree with that at all.
0: Yes, I mean, I think the most obvious comparison is the scene where they're lying under the table that we were talking about earlier.
1: Yeah, just the subtlety and tension of the movie, it felt very it did you know it, I think this movie could have been done in ways where it felt very kind of slasherish or not not ish but it could have just felt more violent or more slapstick and i think just like the care that was given to the direction of this movie felt like a hitchcock it it was such a, it was so i'm gonna use the same word again but so subtle and allowed such slow tension and slow development it was patient
0: it is very patient and meticulous and that we haven't even really talked about the house but the production design that went into just creating the environment is is nominated and should be. It it creates this whole
1: world. Yeah, I mean, the scenery and the plot are so simple. And look how much they did with it. Also, the music in this movie was amazing. I would say it was its own character. It was basically all classical music, and it was so powerful throughout the film.
0: A Glass of Soju was shortlisted for Best Song. It didn't make the final five nominations. Do you remember that? No, (laughs) I don't. Me neither. I I don't either. It It was shortlisted for Best Song, but... Um, but I agree, the classical music score of it um, definitely helps set the mood.
1: I was also just disappointed that none of the actors were nominated because I thought they were fantastic, particularly the father and the son.
0: Kang ho song is the actor who plays the father. He is basically like Tom Hanks in Korea.
1: Is he like, really?
0: He, he is. He's like that level of a movie star.
1: That's crazy. I wish I knew that, actually. That's awesome.
0: He wor- He's worked uh, with Bong Joon-ho uh, a number of times. He's sort of like... Um, you know, DeCap- or, you know, De Niro for Scorsese or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, he's really good. I mean, um,
1: he was wonderful. I really, really liked him a lot.
0: So, the last thing I think to, um, to close on, you sent me a link that Parasite may be turned into a TV series by Adam McKay as I talk about how it could never be an American thing.
1: Know, what are you expecting that from that? <laughs> I worry and I hope, I don't know. I think it was, I think about it and I think it was such a, a perfect movie. I mean, I keep saying that, that I almost don't want them to do that just because I'd, I hope that, who knows? I mean, maybe they'll expand on it and the show will be amazing. You never know. HBO puts out incredible shows now. Um, but I almost kind of wish they would leave the movie alone because it was so good. But maybe I'll be happily surprised. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs>
0: I, everyone is either dead or trapped in a basement i'm yeah I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with it yeah thank you for taking the time to uh talk this through i'm glad you appreciated the movie as much as i did and good luck with your uh journey to the, uh as many of the remaining movies as you can get through
1: thank you i gotta i gotta plow through that while i still have time
0: <laughs> all right um thanks again i'll talk to you soon